here's the only thing worse, the only thing worse than getting a parking ticket on your birthday. Getting a Foo Fighters ticket on your birthday. And what? What? What is the only thing worse than being force-fed gruel? Being force-fed gruel. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome on into this podcast, which is called the Check Your Brain Podcast. Here on, well, if you're listening on Tuesday, and it was posted Tuesday, this is Patreon. If you're listening on Wednesday, it's because you heard this for free wherever you get your finer podcasts. So you can subscribe to Patreon, patreon.com slash Tony Mazer, just five bucks a month. Gets you early access to podcasts like these. And if you're on Locals, I'm on Locals there. I'm still trying to find out how to post there for whatever reason. I'm getting error messages, but it's cybpod.locals.com if you want to subscribe. But this is the Check Your Brain podcast, uh, wherever you're listening to this. Like I said, Patreon, Locals, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. As we always say, wherever you get your, you get your finer podcasts. And I'm Tony Mazer with you. And uh, what you just heard there at the beginning of this was a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Greg Turkington, uh, better known in the the what was it alt comedy or the uh you know it's like this different weird form of comedy like not comedy and it's uh his character neil hamburger because greg turkington is not really a actual comic this is a character who tells anti-jokes is what they call it and as time has gone on and I, as somebody who has dabbled in the comedy world now for the last uh, eight and a half years, I'm drawn to some of these characters that were at one time considered hack. Because if you're somebody who's in the comedy world, the, one of the last things you want, the last thing you want to be known as is a joke stealer, but the second to last thing you want to be known as is a hack. So over time, the observational humor, the, hey, did you ever notice this? Or if you had a guitar on stage, or if you had props, you were known as a hack. It's like you had to go up there and you had to be real. You couldn't you couldn't even tell jokes anymore. What happened to the days where you can tell a joke? Well, you can't tell jokes anymore because it's considered hack. You don't do street jokes because you didn't come up with the joke. So it's really interesting how things kind of have evolved in comedy. And I've noticed this where when you talk about how so many people get really upset with joke stealing, whether it's Carlos Mencia steals jokes. Okay, sure. Robin Williams stole jokes a lot too. Sometimes his mind was working so much he didn't even realize he was stealing jokes. But do you realize joke stealing, quote unquote, or uh, bit sharing has been around way before vaudeville. You realize that when you hear the who's on first bit, everybody immediately thinks of Abbott and Costello, but that bit was done by probably hundreds, if not thousands of performers before they popularized it on the Kate Smith show, the radio show. I'm not kidding. Look it up. It was around a long time. Same with when the Stooges did the Niagara Falls. Slowly I turned step by step. It, and that was done by so many comics all the way up to probably into the seventies that you had shared bits until it got to the point where you say, no, no, you got to do your own stuff. And if you're taking other people's bits, it's considered, well, it's one of the worst things you can do. And by the way, if you hear any wind that's blowing, we don't get many nice days in Ohio where I'm broadcasting from, so I'm doing this podcast outside. Not in my studio slash guest room slash office. <laughs> this is outside, so. Um, but yeah, dabbling in the comedy world, I've... And, and people have asked me, they're like, you know, you've done you've done comedy, but you don't do it all the time. Like, you're not up every night. And no offense to our, our good pal here on this podcast, Ray DeVito. And I've done shows, and I'm friends with Ray. But Ray is of the mindset that you're not a true comedian. And I know a lot of people feel this way. You're not a true comedian unless you're going on stage, like, almost every night. At least making the attempt to find an open mic. Well, sure, if you're in New York City... There's plenty of opportunities where you can go up and do a, a go-up show-up or show-up go-up uh, and open mics and even get on some paid gigs but or you're past to some of the clubs. But if you're in 
Kansas, there's really, uh, unless you're starting your own bar gigs at a local, uh, I don't know, a Sizzler or whatever's out there, uh, a Culver's, I guess, if you're in Wisconsin, uh, you're really not going to get on stage too much. So it's kind of interesting when you say that somebody's not a for real comic unless they're going up that often, unless you're doing it in a mirror with a comb. <laughs> so, But <clears throat> the reason I don't go on stage a lot is I have a love-hate relationship with stand-up. I love the art form. It's a, an art form like musical theater or any kind of theater that's pretty archaic by today's standards as far as entertainment goes, that it's a very old-school, charming form of art and expression but it's not it's not the it's not what it used to be we used to go see plays and stand-up comedy or any type of comedy because we either didn't have television yet because it wasn't invented or we had very few channels and it was during the summertime and the summer replacement shows were on and there wasn't a lot of new programming. You had a lot of summer reruns. So you said, ah, let's go to a comedy show tonight. Because comedy clubs weren't a thing until the 70s. You realize that. That there wasn't comedy clubs in the 20s. There were vaudeville. You had burlesque. But no, like the real comedy clubs, whether it's Ciro's, which became the comedy store with Sammy Shore, um, or you had the Ice House in Pasadena, and you had other comedy clubs pop up. You had small places that were kind of shared with a restaurant, a Chinese food place. Um, you know, the Chitlin Circuit had places that I guess would be considered a comedy club, but comedy clubs are basically in the last half century have been a thing where it was like, no, this is strictly for comedy. Or you had something under the umbrella of comedy. You had a juggling act, you had a, a clown, a hypnotist, a, whatever. So that all goes on and everything. So I, I live in an area in Ohio where there's about there's three comedy clubs within pretty fairly close distance one of them is called hilarities and hilarities is basically that's where the 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 good really good comics go the touring comics that come from the comedy cellar the comedy store the improvs uh, uh, well there we also have an improv chain too but the improv chain is kind of focused more on a lot of urban acts i've noticed that the funny bones and the improvs have kind of leaned towards the earthquakes the bruce bruce the gary owen who pretends he's black but he's a white guy uh and a lot of those other acts that the, the improvs and the funny bones have kind of leaned into that and and i'll be honest here i, I say this 100 percent true uh black audiences really give it up like when they go see i mean they pay they pay a lot of money for the tickets they pay a lot of money in drinks and they will if they like you on stage they will let you know but they'll also let you know that you suck on stage too trust me i've been in been a part of both audiences um but it's uh it's it it's a lot of fun when you win over a a, a mostly black audience I, it's better than sex i'll tell you that much right now <laughs> but it, it's funny because i've done a lot of these shows but maybe not enough if I went on stage a lot more I probably would be a lot better but why don't I go on stage because I'm not a comedian by trade I'm like I don't want to say an imposter but I use comedy as a as a hobby comedy is a hobby it's but it's something that it, kind of like how I play softball or pick up basketball that if I did both of those a lot more I would get a lot better but I, I don't because I'm a radio guy slash podcaster by trade. This is what I do. This is more of my speed. Comedy is something I do that's adjacent, that's part of the Tony Mazur universe, which is why I don't go on stage, and I, I have this love-hate relationship with it. And, But my, my hate relationship is that normally when I go on stage, it's kind of like I feel that you gave me an applause and you're laughing because you're supposed to. And it's a it's an internal mental thing that I have to cope with that I think a lot of comics do go through and I just I feel like when they come off stage and it's at the end of the show and by the door and the, you know comics have merch and everything I don't have merch I don't I don't do that but some comics will have merch and I'll, I'll be by the table we say goodbye hey thanks for coming they're like hey you did great tonight do you mean that are you just saying that because I'm by the door and you feel compelled to say something to me that's just how I feel it's my own messed up uh, internal problems that I have to have to deal with. So, 
But there are other times where I do get inspired to go on stage. So in this podcast, as I'm about 10 minutes into doing this, after my little monologue, I want to play some clips of some of my favorite comics and who inspire me. And that if you ever hear me do podcasting or if you ever... If you're ever in my area or if I'm in your area doing comedy, you get to see like, oh, take this podcast and these comics and their bits that put them together and you have what what I'm striving to be, what I'm trying to do. And I talked to Bonnie McFarlane, Rich Voss's wife, and more than just Rich Voss's wife, is also a uh, very good comic and writer of her own. And I heard her talk about how long it takes a comedian to find their voice his or her voice and it's usually they say it's a better part of a decade until you get to a point where you are comfortable enough on stage and that that is you that that's not a a mix of a bunch of other comics that you're kind of just glomming onto you are you now this is you this is tony mazer this is bonnie mcfarland this isn't who i'm inspired by but there are a lot of comics who also don't want to watch other comics because they're afraid they're either going to possibly steal something or they're just not interested in what other comics are doing. I'm kind of the guy that I, I've gone to a lot of shows, and luckily for me with being in radio and uh, doing stand-up that I've seen a lot of comics for free, so I get a chance to kind of see the craft and sit in the back of the room and see what they do. And I've seen a lot of comics that I may not be a fan of their material, but I love their work ethic. And I'm not going to name any names, and I'm not going to name them on this podcast. But in this one, I want to name some of the comics that have really inspired me. And some of my favorites, and I'll do the cliched comedy Mount Rushmore. Now, I'll give you why I don't have Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and my Mount Rushmore. Because I admire them, but they're not my they weren't my favorites when I got into doing comedy or at least wanted to do comedy. I appreciated what they did after. And if you notice about George Carlin, by the way, Carlin, his, what he did in his career, he went through like three reinventions of himself. That Carlin started out as the clean-cut comic. He was wearing a, a certain, shooting, certain bleh, suit and tie or a bow tie, and he would appear on the Ed Sullivan show. He was with uh, Jack Burns, who was his partner, who actually was, a, 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 I think, a producer of the Muppets, by the way. And Jack, and so it was Burns and Carlin, and they would do like an act, and then they, <clears throat> he did his solo stuff. But it wasn't representative of the George Carlin that we kind of knew over time. But he wanted to be that. He wanted to get arrested with Lenny Bruce. He wanted to be there. He was in the paddy wagon with him. Uh, but he had to do it, just like Richard Pryor. He had to, in the 1960s, you want to get on, there's three networks, and if you get on that Ed Sullivan show, you got to play by the rules. Well, it, you know, doing a little bit of LSD and cocaine and everything else, George Carlin and Richard Pryor said, I don't want to play by those rules. So I got a chance to respect that over time. So Carlin did his, obviously, The Seven Dirty Words, Class Clown, AMFM, and in the 70s, he began the Hippy Dippy Weatherman, all that. He was massive. But then I heard a story that I think Kelly Carlin, his daughter, told that he had to reinvent himself again because he felt now he was starting to become a parody of himself and that he saw Rick Moranis on SCTV doing a George Carlin impression. And he's like, they're they're doing impressions of me right now. Like, I was the clean-cut guy. Now I'm the hippie guy who talks about drugs and dropping F-bombs every other word and now I got to do it again. So then he became angrier at the end of his career. And I got to say, my parents, and I've known a lot of people who actually went to go see George Carlin in probably the last decade of his life and said, ooh, I didn't like it. He was just really angry. He's bitter about everything. It, so in the late 90s, he came out with a special called You Are All Diseased. And that's the one where he does actually talk about where people were using that during the COVID stuff, talking about germs. But his stuff was so brutal and one of my favorite bits and I'm going to play it right now I'm just playing a portion of it this is in I think one of the greatest comedy bits of all time is him talking about the people who ought to be killed so here we go here are some more musical vermin whose mothers we wish had had medical plans that included abortion <laughs> these singers these singers who think they're so special they only need one name Bono, Sting, Jewel, Tiffany, Prince. What a crock of shit. Get a fucking last name, would you please? I got a nice two-word name for you. Pretentious cocksucker. How do you like that? Bono. 
So it goes on. It goes on. I just want to play a quick portion of that. And it's one of the great, great comedy bits of all time. But when I got into comedy, Carlin was kind of, you knew him as, see, that's the one problem is that they always, oh, well, football and and baseball. It's like, that bit stinks. And he even admits it stinks. It was just something to get on TV when he was hosting SNL back in 1975. So I wanted to go through what I guess would be my comedy Mount Rushmore and what got me motivated into doing stand-up comedy in the first place and playing some bits about it. So the first person I wanted to mention was when I started, I, like a lot of people, wanted to become, because you mentioned about who this generation's comic and everybody looks up to. And I think for me, because I was going through a a period in my mid-20s, right around the time when my prefrontal cortex was being developed, that I was looking for a little bit more meaning. I was going through a breakup at the time, and you know, I just needed a little bit more there had to be more to life and I was looking for it in different ways and I, I really fell into Bill Hicks and I was a big fan I was a fan of him a little bit I didn't agree and I, and I also it, it was for its time Bill Hicks was a product of his time unfortunately the same way that Lenny Bruce is where if you played a Lenny Bruce album in 2022 and you hear him talking in the late 50s early 60s him saying daddy-o and you know he's using a lot of the jargon and slang that was popular in the beatnik days and you go ah god why is this guy why was he so influential but you had to be there and that was the thing about Bill Hicks is that Hicks didn't go up there and say like just make dick jokes the whole time this was him wanting to say something now what's different is with bill hicks is that i think the reason why i fell into him is if he were still alive if he didn't die of of uh pancreatic cancer in 1994 he'd have a podcast right now and he'd go up on stage and do dick jokes because he can talk about the war and the economy and politicians and everything that he ripped on in the 80s and early 90s he would do that on a podcast so then what's his stand-up going to be like I think it would be very interesting, you know, except, of course, we all know he's still alive and he's he goes by the name Alex Jones now. <laughs> but I fell into it because I'm like, God, I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I like the fact that he's ranting and not everything he says on stage is funny. In fact, there's a lot of Bill Hicks that I don't find that funny, but I find it fascinating. So here was one of them. He's talking about non-smoking, which is funny. I love, I'm going to tell you non-smokers something right now that I know for a fact you don't know, and I delight in telling my brothers things they don't know, particularly when they're true, which this is. Ready? Non-smokers. Ready? Drum roll. Non-smokers die every day. <laughs> Sleep tight. <laughs> so Bill Hicks would do a lot of bits like that, where some of them were, are, again, we're, you talk about the Carlin days. He had to do some things that if, if you wanted to get on TV, and yes, there were more options in you know, the early 90s of getting on someplace. So it's not ju- it wasn't just getting on The Tonight Show or Ed Sullivan. It was, uh, I can get on. You know, David Letterman, I could get on Arsenio Hall. You had Dennis Miller in the final year or so that he was alive. Um, but that was that was what was interesting is that he did have family, I don't want to say family friendly, but network TV appropriate bits. And then he would do his other stuff that he would talk about on stage where he would just take it to a complete insane level. And here he is talking about the news. This one was another bit. This was on Dennis Miller's syndicated show back in 1992, right around the time he was getting diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So thanks for coming out, I guess. Yeah, it's good to see people. You know, the news, man, is so horrifying. You get the impression you just walk out your door, you're immediately going to be raped by some crack-addicted, AIDS-infected pit bull or something. Some horrible CNN story, you know. Honey, I'm going to check the mail. What do you say we stay inside tonight, baby? Let the Domino's guy deal with that thing out there. Yeah, Domino's, could you send another car over, please? I know that's your third one. That last guy almost made it. Pretty soon, we're all going to be locked in our homes. No one on the streets but Domino's guys in armored Chevettes with turrets launching pizzas through the mail slots of our front doors. 
Here comes lunch, kids. Duck. Interesting. Hmm, being at home and having dominoes. Everybody's going to be home and watching CNN and just having delivery. It sounds, kind of sounds like two years ago. But anyways, I digress. But what was interesting about Bill Hicks is that he would talk about it. This is where it's kind of like there are certain comics that are around that you wish were still alive in today's world. And you hear them every so often. I'm going to mention a couple. I've mentioned George Carlin. I'll mention Bill Hicks. Uh, Patrice O'Neill's another great one where you say, God, I wish they were still around. I wish they were still around and said something about this. Or how would they react? How would Patrice react to Donald Trump? And how would Bill Hicks react to the COVID stuff? And obviously we won't get that. But you go back in the time and see how way ahead of his time Bill Hicks was. So that was, a, again, that was another made-for-TV bit. But he also would talk about very controversial subjects of the time. And, of course, a lot of it was talking about whether it was Ronald Reagan or he's talking about uh, Desert Storm and how there's no reason to be there. And what was interesting about Bill Hicks is that towards the end of his life, right around the time he was diagnosed with cancer, is when the Waco situation, you want to talk about a complete government overreach, he had some things to say about the whole Waco situation back in the day. So this one, you know, I, I, the audio's not great, but this is him talking about what happened at Waco as it was happening, because he's a Texas guy, and he was down there right near the compound. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have some very shocking news for you. I have seen footage that you probably have never seen, some of you never have, that's never aired on network television, of huh. uh, footage of the Bradley tank shooting fire into the compound. The branch divisions did not start the fire. They were murdered in cold blood by the pussies, the liars, the scumbags, the ATF. <laughs> And the meaning of it all, the reason you didn't see it, and the reason they said, oh, the, the branch of video started the fire. No, they didn't. Because they know now that David Koresh was trying to finish that fucking whatever seven seals horseshit he was doing. They know that. They burn these fucking people alive because the, the message they want to convey to you is state power will always win. We'll paint you as a child molester and we'll paint you as a methamphetamine manufacturer. We'll say any lie we want over our propaganda machine, the mainstream media, and we'll burn you and your children in your fucking home. So you just be apathetic, America. You stay docile and don't you ever forget, you're free to do what we tell you. Boy, how about that, hearing that on a comedy stage? But that's what's interesting about Bill Hicks is that, again, not everything he said there was funny, but it was interesting because we didn't have podcasting and we didn't have the amount of talk radio and uh, options, streaming options, Twitch and everything to convey messages like that. He did that on a comedy stage because that was the only way he would be able to get that message out and talk about something, you know, again, that's a very controversial issue with Waco. Well, the problem was that Bill Hicks died of pancreatic cancer in January of, or February of 94. And what's sad is that on the 25th anniversary of his death, I think it was the Telegraph or one of those UK, the Sun or whatever, I, I don't remember what it is, showed or at least had a bunch of millennials and Gen Z listen to Bill Hicks. And they basically came to the conclusion that he's just an angry white guy. Oh, so that's what you... That's what, that's what it is. He's just an angry... Oh, he was just an angry white guy. Why, why was he so influential? Okay, so what do you want him to do? But I find what Bill Hicks is fascinating and why he's on my Mount Rushmore is his work ethic, his final year. You talk about... And we'll get to talking about Norm in a few minutes as well. <clears throat> Bill Hicks knew he was dying. And instead of moping, instead of sitting at home and waiting for the Grim Reaper, he put out two albums. Two albums! Now, they didn't come out for a couple of years because uh, they were getting produced, but... Is that Bill Hicks talking to me right now? Wow. Yeah, you hear that? Goodness gracious. All the people who are dead, they're talking to me as I'm trying to do this podcast. Um, but he put out two albums and recorded them while he was dying. Two! Two to completely different hours. Doesn't, doesn't even share any material in both hours. How incredible is that? Arizona Bay and my favorite comedy CD of all time, well, maybe next to the next one I'm going to do, which is Rant in E Minor. 
It's unbelievable. I highly recommend people. And again, just like with Lenny Bruce, you got to put yourself in the position of somebody who was around in 1992, 93, and not 2022, where there's references to Jesse Helms or people who have been dead for a long time that probably don't remember or realize. So Bill Hicks would be, I don't know, I guess the Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Hoosvelt of my comedy Mount Rushmore. Then I move on to Dave Attell. And what's funny about Dave Attell uh, compared to the next person I will do after Attell is Louis C.K., is that when you get into comedy, as I mentioned, trying to find your comedy voice, you are going to find somebody who is a little bit more... I guess uh, whoever is really popular when you are starting out is kind of who you are looking up to. So I, I would assume if you're starting in 2022 in comedy, you're probably looking up to, I don't know, Burt Kreischer, who's ever, Nikki Glaser, who's ever very popular nowadays. But when I started in comedy nearly a decade ago, who was the number one comic in the country at that time? And it was arguably Louis C.K. So a lot of my comedy peers and probably myself had a were coming up with bits that sounded like they could be potential Louis bits. And for people who started 10 years before I 10 15 years before I did, they, they were doing a lot of Dave Dave Attell bits. And even Big J Okerson mentioned it where he was doing a lot of Attell sounding stuff. Bert Kreischer has talked about that too, where people are so inspired by Dave Attell that they started writing bits kind of like what they did with Rodney back in the 70s and the 80s that you know, Jackie Martling mentions it, where they're writing Rodney jokes just because he was that popular and that funny. So little Dave Attell from one of probably my this would be my favorite comedy album next to Rantony Minor. And that's Skanks for the Memories. Here's some drinking tips. Never get drunk when you're wearing a hooded sweatshirt because you will eventually think there's someone right behind you. Here's something else I've learned drunk. There's no way ever to talk your way out of wiping your ass on someone's pillow. <laughs> Even if you yell surprise. <laughs> Own up to it, be a man. <laughs> you ever black out when you're drinking, or as I call it, time travel? <laughs> yeah. Of course, the classic bit. You're in a bar, you're drinking, you black out, you wake up, you're in another bar, you're drinking, you black out, you wake up, you're in McDonald's. <laughs> Working there about three years, still not assistant manager. You want to quit, but you're banging that girl on the fry later. They say she's retarded, but those titties ain't retarded. Of course, just one of the classics. In fact, David tells one of the guys that if I'm at a party and we've listened to music all night and you just kind of want to wind down and relax and, and just laugh, I'll put Skanks for the Memories on. And guaranteed people in there just start busting up laughing. Or it's a great road trip thing where you just, again, tired of listening to the radio. Hey, David Tell's not dead. Why is it thundering again? He's still alive, still with us. By the way, if Dave Attell can survive alcoholism and the COVID pandemic, I think uh, we're all going to be pretty good. But Attell is just, he's, the writing and his attention to detail and how great he is on stage is just, his poise, it's like, there's, there's nothing like it. I might have to start moving in here, goodness. I'm, I'm on my porch right now, and I've got hail coming down. Huh. I'm not going to say hail no, because otherwise it'd be one of those hacks that I mentioned at the onset of this podcast here. But I, I've seen Attell live about three, four times, and it's one of those, uh, it's gut-busting. Like, I have to be prepared. And what I always say about, there are certain comics, and Attell is one of them, where if you go see him live, don't laugh too hard. And I know it's, it's tough to tell somebody that, but don't laugh too hard because you're going to miss two more jokes. If you laugh too hard at the first joke, you're going to miss jokes two and three. Just busting up laughing. And Skanks for the Memories is one of those uh, albums that are just fantastic. Of course, this bit too. That's what I'm trying to say is I miss my dad. I really miss my dad. <laughs> You notice when you're young, you think your dad's Superman, and then you grow up and you realize he's just a drunk who wears a cape? Well, there you go. 
just another classic bit, just well written, absurd, and I like that's what I've gotten to the point. Even though I mentioned about Bill Hicks and I loved his truth to power and everything, but for its time, but like I also had with Neil Hamburger at the beginning of the podcast, I like absurdity. I like somebody just being silly sometimes. David Tell is not a political comic. I mean, he can if he probably wanted to, and be would be hilarious at it. But he just goes up there and does the does these bits where he's like, um, well, well one, one of my of course he did the thing. It was like I hate traveling. I think that's because my dad used to beat me with a globe. Is one of classic jokes where he's like, you know, women are always saying that they want uh, somebody who uh, like a woman will say like I need somebody who's stable that I can lean against. Oh, why don't you date a table? <laughs> or of course there's, uh, and then you'll have a woman who says. Uh, I uh, I want somebody who is adventurous but is also hilarious. Why don't you date a rodeo clown? And then my classic is saying that. And then there's a woman who says that she, uh, she wants a guy who just gives and gives and gives and does not want sex in return. I know who this guy is. His name is Grandpa. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I got a chance to meet a tell a couple of times and. But I haven't met him. Like, I met him. He didn't meet me. Because he's one of those weird guys. That's why I don't hang out at the comedy, the, the comics table. Because comedians are a little, uh, a little autistic, let's be honest. Um, I include myself in that. Comics are not... I, I don't... Like, if, if people... Like, back in the day of watching Insomniac 20 years ago. Yeah, I can't wait to hang out with Dave Attell. Well, if he's, especially if he's not drinking. What do you talk to Dave about? You just, like... Sports? Uh, politics? Uh, uh, great set tonight. Cigarettes? Like, what What do you talk about? So, it's one of those don't meet your heroes, but I did. I got a picture with them where it's very blurry. His eyes are closed, but hey, I met Dave Attell, and that was really cool. Other people uh, who I, I have seen, I have not met, but one of the people who inspired me to do this was, of course, Louis C.K. Now, what's interesting about Louis is he's another one of those, like, kind of like Sebastian Maniscalco and others who... They're not overnight successes. Louis really was not, like, everybody knew he was good, but he was a club comic for probably, he started in the mid to late 80s, and he probably did not start popping until at least, I would say, 18 years into his career. Like, he was on Dr. Katz back in the day, and Home Movies, the, the Tom Snyder, not that Tom Snyder, but Tom Snyder Productions, the Squiggle Vision shows. Um... And he, he had Comedy Central Half Hours, and he was on Premium Blend and everything, but was not like the Louie that we know him as, well, today, or at least pre-2017, before the masturbation stuff. Which, by the way, a lot of us had heard about that. They said, oh, you know, Louie was kind of creepy with that. And I Even I heard about that story for a long time. I'm like, wow, you're really going to go after him during this Me Too thing for a story that was at that point 12 years old. But anyways, well, you're an apologist. No, no, I'm not an apologist. But Louis is another one where his absurdity is what I loved. And I love, I love all his specials. I think he, his specials, and he changed the game in a lot of ways. Where Louis was the guy that, before him, it was just George Carlin, of where he can turn around in a new hour every year. And what Carlin would do is he would come up with this material, and he would take it on the road. He'd have a little notepad or whatever to, to work on his jokes. And he worked, like, I mean, like a gym would go into different towns, and then when it was time to film the special, he did it and never used that material again. Louis did that too. Not only did Louis do that, Louis changed the business. He changed the business in a couple of ways. He did direct-to-consumer delivery. Rather than filming a special, then it goes to Showtime, it goes to HBO, then Comedy Central has it, and this and this and this, so then you want to go see the new Louis C.K. live at the Beacon, you're going to have to go Comedy Central and wait for it to come on and it's edited with commercials or you buy it on DVD for $19.99 at Best Buy or Circuit City at the time or whatever. And Louis said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fund this myself completely and I'm going to put it on the website and if you have five bucks, you can watch it. Go for it. And would email, not, not go to the website, he would email you the link, his, his newsletter. And it was unbelievable because then what happens is if Comedy Central and Showtime do want it, then now they have to pay him. So you've already paid him for that special. But if you didn't, you can wait 
and then Comedy Central and HBO and Showtime and everybody else and Netflix would have to pay him. So it was pretty pretty genius what he was able to do. And did that with Horace and Pete. He, he came up with Horace and Pete, which was a essentially a stage play and had A-listers like Alan Alda and Steve Buscemi and Laurie Metcalf and a lot of great... I think Edie Falco was in it and... A-listers that he had, that he did it in complete secret and said, hey, by the way, I have this new show called Horace and Pete. If you want the full season, it's $31. <laughs> there you go. Again, didn't shop it to a network, gave it right to the consumer and funded it himself. So uh, just an unbelievable comic. And But I love his absurdity, where it's not just him ranting about politics or anything like that. I love the absurd things, like talking about this bit. Like one time I was standing on a street corner and I was eating a peach. And this guy starts waving at me from across the street. And what do you do when someone waves at you? You just wave back. Your arm just shoots up there. And I had a peach, so I'm waving the peach at the guy. And then I realized that he's not waving at me. I don't even know the fucking guy. He's waving at a guy behind me. So I'm just waving a peach at nobody. People looking at me. I didn't want to stop waving because I would be admitting that I fucked up, you know? I just kept waving it. I just started going, look at my peach! I have a peach! Look at it! See, it's a bit that he used to do back earlier in his career, probably when he was about 10 years into his career, he was doing the, look what a fine peach I have. It's absurd. It's supposed to be absurd. And if I were at that show, I'd be on the floor laughing. I don't care if anybody else wasn't laughing except for me. I've been on stage where... There's absurd comics. I, I was at, I, we talked about it with Chad Zumach on our Monday shows, if you subscribe to those and listen to our Monday Swapcast, as we call it. I was at the Comedy Store years ago, and I saw Brody Stevens. May he rest in peace. Uh, suicide from a few years ago. And Brody's on stage, and I don't know who he's... like. I never knew who his appeal was, other than to me. And the fact that he's on stage doing jokes and then he would repeat jokes purposefully because he wouldn't feel that the audience got it. But that was who Brody was. And I just remember being one of three people in the audience laughing. Me, Chad was in the back of the room, and then there was somebody else. I think it was like, I forgot who it was. It might have been Theo Vaughn or somebody, one of the, one of the other comics just laughing. And the audience is like, what am I watching here? What is this? And that's what I liked about early Louis was it was that way too. And it took a little bit, I think that was when he was started to talk about when he had kids and he was ripping on kids, and that's how he was able to get to that point where um, he crossed over from being club comic that would paper the room and have to do morning radio to uh, he's an A-list comic who's doing theaters and arenas right now. So another classic Louis bit. You know when you're in an elevator, and you're just, you get in an elevator, there's already people on, right? And you go to press your floor button, and it's already been pressed, it's all lit up. You know, and they all saw you starting to go for it. And then you don't want to press it. Then you get that thing where you make that noise where you don't actually make words. You know the thing you get on, you're like, quiet, yeah. <laughs> I just say, I wasn't pressing the button, I'm pressing the air in front of the button. Right here, yep. I'm going to a floor that you know nothing about, man. It's, and I think on that same special, he has another one of my favorite bits of his where he's like, because they were observations that you think about, like where you're on your way home from the comedy show. Go, Damn, that was that was really funny. And he does the thing where I think the whole bit is you ever see somebody you don't know again, and it's like if God ran out of extras in making your life <laughs> in the movie about your life. It's like, okay, you're gonna be the guy on the bus. Oh, but I was also the guy at the grocery store. Ah, he won't even know the difference. And it's like. Those are those type of things that I, I just, I would hear that and I would come home and I'm like, I'll never be that. I'll never be that funny. I either need to write like that or I need to stop doing this altogether. So Louis would also be up there. So Attell is probably up there as, uh, he's the Thomas Jefferson. I would say Louis is the Abe Lincoln. So if Bill Hicks is Ted, Teddy Roosevelt, Lincoln is Louis. And Thomas Jefferson is Dave Attell. My George Washington would, of course, be Norm MacDonald. That's what got my dad, his heart. 
attacked and killed him, and he was lying on his bed, and boom, dead on the floor. You know, as they said, it was instantly. And my dad, he wasn't expecting it. He was looking for fucking Arabs and shit, and his heart <laughs> attacked and killed him. And he was dead, like, instantaneously. And uh, sad, we were all sad. When something like that happens, people just try to make you feel better. They'll say anything, you know. One guy said to me, don't worry, Norm. He died in his sleep. He didn't feel a thing. And I was like, really? When his heart attacked and killed him, he didn't? Because <laughs> I wake up like if my cat walks across my belly. You know that? Like... <laughs> I don't know if my dad was that sound asleep. One guy said, he's in a better place. I said, he's on the floor. <laughs> Dead. Earlier, he was alive on the bed. Now, with that Tempur-Pedic pillar I bought him for Christmas. I'm, I'm no physician, but I think that's the better place over there. So, Norm MacDonald, of course, we lost him in the tender age of, God, how old was he? <laughs> he was like 60, 61. Because he apparently for a while he lied about his age, where he was said he was born in '63, but he was really born in '59. And the reason, it, kind of the, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was just last week it was announced that Norm is coming out with a final special after his death. After Norm has been dead, he had all this material before when he knew he was dying. That I, I guess the story is that he's there with uh, Mary Jo Hoekstra, I believe is his uh, agent. It just started running through his material before he died. How, how amazing is that? He's going to come out with... Well, again, he's, he's not coming out. He's dead. Mm. But the fact that his estate, and I'm not Norm and everybody, coming out with this new special is, is, is just fantastic. It's unbelievable. And what's what I found funny about all four of these people that I've mentioned in my Mount Rushmore, Bill Hicks, Louis C.K., David Tell, and, of course, Norm, is that they all had a, had a great, great careers. And two of them still alive, two of them not, of course. But there was always, there was like, it almost seemed like there was not another place for these people. And Norm, they gave him shows, they gave him movies, and nothing stuck. Like, what was it that... There wasn't a place for Norm MacDonald in today's media, or any type of media, if you think about it, where he's a great comic, and of course he just played that bit, but he was in Weekend Update, and he flourished in Weekend Update. But he also didn't really write all of Weekend Update. That was also... uh, that That was being done by couple of writers that uh the, the guy from billy madison and uh who does the who does the whole thing about like you know it's the most insanely idiotic thing you've ever heard everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it i reward you no points and may god have mercy on your soul he helped co-write or write norm's weekend update in those days which is fine um i don't know why am i forgetting his name i know everyone's yelling right now they're like god you, how do you not know this uh, why do I? Why am I forgetting his the guy's name? Damn it! Anyways, um, he also did the white like me sketch with Eddie Murphy, with uh, where he dressed up as white. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, take it, take the newspaper. Well, I'm buying this newspaper. Um, there were, it almost seemed like there wasn't a place for Norm in society, and I I don't know what it is that. No matter what, he but he was great in it. It just it wasn't for everybody. And I think what the saddest thing about with Norm, other than, of course, dying and not only dying, but also having cancer for several for about a decade. And I came to find out, I guess he had cancer even before then. Like there was I saw a story that even when he was up in Canada, before he made it to the States, that he had some kind of cancer in the 80s. So this might have been a reoccurring thing over time. But the best part is uh, about Norm was just he. There's a line in comedy that he didn't care about crossing. You told Norm not to do something, he would do it. And 
Unfortunately, in today's comedy society, or society in general, when there's a line, people don't even go near the line. They'll, if you cross the line, you, you will lose everything. You'll lose your, your radio show, you'll lose your podcast, you'll lose your gig on SNL, or you lose your writing gig on The Daily Show or whatever it is. Norm was that talented and kind of grandfathered into that where he was almost uncancelable. Like, they attacked him a few years ago. Remember when he supported Roseanne and Louie? And they said, well, that makes you a racist and a, an, a, an apologist for sexual assault. And Norm wasn't trying to be offensive and everything. Like, he actually went back on The View and kind of, he didn't apologize, but he tried to explain himself. But it was, it was really odd that they were trying to really attack him. And, of course, no one knew that he was also dying at the time. But he had had his, he had done his Norm MacDonald Live, his podcast, where he'd have, like, a lot of A-list guests. You have David Letterman, he'd have Larry King and Adam Sandler on. And it's Super Dave, of course, and a lot of these were just fantastic shows. But again, there almost like wasn't a place for Norm Macdonald in that society. So I want to play a little bit. Of course, I mentioned The the View, one of the classic bits of all time. He's not a, a liar, a crook, murderer, or anything like that. So it'd be good to get the... See, I, I, don't, I think we should get the homicide out of the White House and get like a... Uh, a fresh start, because we don't want any more murderers. I no, think we, we should just go on to the next question. Who oh. <laughs> murderers? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Clinton, he murdered a guy. Yeah, you know, we're not allowed to, you're not no, allowed to put out no, no accusations without that. That's a little Charlie. too that's far. That's the way it does let's work. Just, let's just go on to the next question. Uh, okay. Yeah. This is not my week. What can I tell you? <laughs> oh, it's not mine either, and I'm being very nice, okay? <laughs> Be a good boy. Now, Norm. Do you know who did that? No. Listen, no, we don't need I to don't talk get about into this. this. And I don't want to hear it, and this is not the place to make those accusations. And you're supposed to be funny. Let's oh. get on with it. Exactly. <laughs> so get with it. This is probably my most played clip I've ever done on my podcast. If you hear my on my Patreon, I've played it a couple of times. Norm MacDonald goes on The View. The day, apparently, I think it was the night he was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and when Regis talked him out of winning the question. Because here's the other thing about Norm, is Norm was no dummy. You realize this. Norm was not a moron. He made it seem like, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm a dumb guy. Uh, I, I don't know. He was an extremely intelligent guy. And in fact, you hear a lot of his, some of those silly bits when he would be on Conan O'Brien and he would do those, and he, he would say like, Gregaro Inalinovich. And he's, he's, what he's doing is he's taking uh, elements of Russian literature that he was actually a really big fan of, and he, he quoted Russian literature. He cro- quoted the scriptures, and but you wouldn't realize it because he's like, ah, just, uh, hey, uh, what the h is going on here? And you wouldn't think two things about it, and you go, God, this guy was brilliant. He was truly a brilliant guy, and you just go through the list, and and what he did here on this View appearance, this is two thousand, and he goes up there like during the election, right? The Bush Gore election and calling Bill Clinton a murderer <laughs> on, on ABC on the, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern time and calling Clinton a murderer, but it gets better. There you go. <laughs> this is a live show. Not Why? Norm, but you have been properly chastised by Barbara. So I'm not going to ask the next question. I thought it was a matter of record. Shut no. up. Uh, Shut up. Let me do this, okay? okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what's a matter of record. You will not be invited back if you don't shut up. Uh, All right, uh, now. <laughs> Let's talk football. All right, manslaughter. Let's talk football. Oh, Norm. Norm. Did you ever hear the word on? Oh, 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 phone is ringing. I certainly hope that somebody calling to tell you to go home. Oh, no. Would you got a phone ringing. Oh. <laughs> um... Answer the phone. Hello? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, The thing is this. uh, You know Matt Strauss? Yeah, the producer. (laughs) The producer. He told me it would be funny. He said, like, why don't you carry a cell phone on and then let it ring and then pretend like there's a guy on it. Is there anybody on it? No, it's a thing. Pretend. You know what, Norm? (laughs) So he just blows the joke. The producer, oh, I know. I got something funny. 
Yes, let's see. We have Norm MacDonald, one of the funniest people on the planet, but remember that producer of The View can do something to make his appearance even funnier is if he gives him a prop cell phone <laughs> and he breaks the fourth wall and says, yeah, I thought it would be your producer. thought it would be funny if I answered a phone on the screen. And there, there's more to it. He talks about, yeah, Bill Cosby has never been accused of anything. And again, we're talking, what, 14 years before Hannibal Burris came out and said, what, you didn't know about <laughs> Bill Cosby being a rapist? Uh, it's just, it's unbelievable how good he was. But he was great on stage. He was great, of course, on Weekend Update, as you'll hear here. And finally, the Oscar nominations were announced this week. And Tom Hanks and Jodie Foster are in a heated competition in the Academy's controversial new category, Best Retard. <laughs> and that's the one thing about Norm. And I, I talked about this, by the way, the day after it was announced that he died. So if you want to go back and check out my podcast on Patreon, um, Norm didn't always kill on SNL. That's what's funny about when you watch Weekend Update now with Colin Jost, if he's still on the show, or is Michael Che, one of them are leaving the show, or maybe both, I'm not sure. But in the last few, however many people have been doing it for the last several years, all the way back to, it, to Tina Fey and Jimmy Fallon for no reason was doing it, those didn't always kill. It's almost like they're piping in some canned laughter in there, because why is every joke that Colin Jost and Michael Che do just uproarious laughter. It's not that funny. Seth Meyers was not it was not his thing. It was as smug and wasn't very good. Uh, Fallon, of course, was terrible, and Tina Fey was just really just ugh, not just not good at doing the whole thing. And but when Norm was up there, people kind of forget about this. He did not always kill. Like he would do a joke, and it would just kind of sit there and be flat, and he'd be like. Oh, what, you don't like that joke? Okay, well, you're not going to like this one. And he would, he started doing, it's almost like he's doing crowd work with the with the crowd. And here's another, this is probably my uh, second favorite Norm clip. He's on SNL hosting, and he is crapping on SNL on SNL. When the people here ask me to do the show, you know, I got to say, I felt kind of weird, you know. I, I don't know if you remember this. But uh, I used to actually be on this show, you know? Uh, I used to do the uh, weekend update news routine. You remember that? And, uh, yeah. That's where I did the make-believe news jokes, you know? That was me, right? So then, a year and a half ago, right, I had a sort of a, a disagreement with the management at, uh, at the NBC. Uh, I wanted to keep my job, right? <laughs> And they felt the exact opposite. <laughs> so, so you see, they like uh, they fired me because they said that I wasn't funny. You know, now, now with most jobs, I could have had a hell of a lawsuit on my hands for that. But, but see, this is a comedy show. So they got me. You know, you know, <laughs> you know. But now this is the weird part, right? It's only a year and a half later, and now. They asked me to host the show. <laughs> so I wondered, I go, hey, wait a second here. Hey! I go, how did I go in a year and a half from being not funny enough to be even allowed in the building <laughs> to being so funny that I'm now hosting the show? How did I suddenly get so damn funny? <laughs> It was inexplicable to me, because a year and a half, let's face it, is not enough time for a dude to learn how to be funny. <laughs> then it occurred to me, I haven't gotten funnier. The show has gotten really bad. <laughs> so yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. But, <laughs> Okay, so let's recap. The bad news is, I'm still not funny. The good news is, the show blows. 
All right, folks, we got a bad show for you tonight. Dr. Dre, Snoop Doggy Dog, and Eminem are here. How amazing is that? And apparently, the people booing that you heard there were the writers who were pissed off at Norm for doing that. <clears throat> I mean, because, again, he didn't run this by the writers. And this is why comics are the best on that show. You notice some of the greatest people who have been on that show tend to be, I would say, probably 70% of them are usually actually comics, like comedians and not groundlings actors or upright citizens brigade actors, improv people. Because improv... Uh, I'm going to tick people off when I say this. I love doing improv. I also like playing soccer. I don't like watching soccer, and it's the same as improv. Unless you are the top of the top. I saw Colin Mockery and Brad Sherwood one time uh, doing a theater, and I was in, like, the sixth row. It was really funny. And why is it funny? Because you're actually dealing with 30, even 40-year-plus pros, and not some douchebag who decided, uh, hey, I was told I was funny in my office. I'm going to join an improv troupe. So here I'm going to wear my red turtleneck and my corduroys like everybody else in our troupe, and we have some kind of wacky name for our group, like Funny Side Up, and we're going to do an improv thing. And it's just, it's not good because you're not professionals. Like, it, it, for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, they like improv when it's done by the Who's Line is in any way, people. Even, that's why Drew Carey sucked on that show. Because he was not, that's not who he was. But when you notice when you watch comedy, like comedians, who are some of the, your favorites on the show of all time? You know, a lot of people will say Norm doing his update. That's because he's a comic. He knows timing. I don't know if improv people really have good that good a timing. I think they can play off each other pretty well. But if everybody is playing off each other and still don't have timing, then going to bomb a lot. But a comic knows how to pull themselves out of a situation or keep going even further in that situation. And that's what Norm would do frequently. So, uh... <clears throat> That's why, I mean, think about David Spade, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, Dennis Miller. Uh, some of the, some of those great, uh, I mean, even, you say even Jimmy Fallon had a pretty good run on the show. Again, a guy who was a comedian to start. Um, you know, go, you go back to the 70s, and some of them were comedians, some of them were actors, and they were, they were also radio people. So you have to have good timing when you're doing National Lampoon Radio Hour. Why was SNL not very good in the, Eddie Murphy, comic. Um, Joe Piscopo, comic. You know, then you start looking around. Dana Carvey, comic. They're all comics that were that made that show really good, really funny. Colin Quinn, uh, doing update after Norm was great. Jim Brewer. You know, there obviously there's a lot of others who did well. Like uh, Will Ferrell's not a stand-up comic, but was was had a great run and arguably one of the best on that show. But. I think we see the common denominator here, and that's why Norm was that good on the show, and why he was controversial, and why. Uh, uh, but when he would do those, we can. I mean, there is whoever is running. I'm not Norm. If that's his agent, or if that's just a super fan who has great access to a lot of archives, uh, please go and check out I'm Not Norm on YouTube because it's they have almost every one of his monologues, and they have it in clips where it's like. Norm McDonald crapping on the Clintons, Norm McDonald uh, on OJ, Norm doing this, this, and this, and Norm, Norm the cinephile, Nim the, Norm the this and that. And it's, it's great. I highly recommend it. And one thing I can always take, you know, if, as someone who saw Norm a couple of times, in fact, Norm at the Bob Saget roast, where he goes up there and he didn't want to roast Bob. He didn't want to roast him. But Bob basically begged him to do it. So what he did is he found some old jokes from a joke book from like the 1930s or 40s and just did corny jokes on stage. And I remember, well, it was around the time I wanted to get into doing stand-up. But um, like I, I, wanted to, I wanted to start doing stand-up when I was like 18, 19. But a lot of places, they wouldn't let you in until you're 21. And, you know, but... If you think about it, in the 2000s, Norm kind of wasn't around that much. Like, he did some things. You'd pop up or he'd do voiceover work, but you wouldn't hear Norm that much. And he appears on a Bob Saget roast in 2008. And I, I just, 
my gut hurt laughing watching him. And I remembered a couple of months, or it was actually not long after, that he was coming to my area performing at Hilarities. And again, Hilarities, got to be 21 to go in there. Well, it was just after my 21st birthday. So my first comedy show in a comedy club, 21 or over, was Norm MacDonald. And I got to see him a couple of times. Didn't get a chance to meet him, but uh, it just was unbelievable. And going to see Norm, I remembered those bits, like the one I did earlier about the heart attack. He did that in 2009, and he filmed it in 2011. And what's funny, again, he's on stage, he sounds like he's drunk, or he sounds whatever, and he, you heard the beginning of what became a great bit. And the same thing in 2014 when I saw him, and he had his special called, I think it was called Hitler's Dog, which was out in 2017. And he does things that you think he's just saying things on stage, going, I had a pork chop. As a, you know, people's restaurant habits that they, uh, you know, it's like you don't do them at home. You get a, you get a, 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 like a loaf of bread. Who gets a loaf of bread? And you're thinking like he's just saying this because the, there's a restaurant upstairs. No, he, he worked it into a bit, and a lot of them showed up on that special. And you're like, oh, I heard the beginnings of what ended up being a great bit. So it's like, wow, it's kind of like seeing the band before they got popular. And it was, it was so funny. It was really, really funny to go see the kind of that beginning and how somebody can do that. So please, if you're going to see Louie or any of those, do not film them when they're working on material because you could be ruining the potential for a great bit. So that's why when I went to go see Louie, I never saw Louie until 2019, January of 2019. I saw him at the Pittsburgh Improv. And again, it was another one of those where I had to you know, they couldn't put, put it out there publicly because then you're going to have a lot of protests, Me Too people, with the pussy hats and everything. Uh, so they had to, like, email and say, hey, psst, Louie's coming. He's going to be here with Lynn Coplitz and uh, Tony Woods and Eddie If. They're going to be at the Pittsburgh Improv. So I went to go see, I went to go see Louie at the Improv, a guy that just two years earlier was doing arenas and theaters. And uh, we had to put our phones in pouches and have them locked up because somebody was leaking some of Louis's material, which again, if it didn't get leaked, it would have been a great bit, but it was great to see. So rounding out my comedy Mount Rushmore and playing some of those clips, of course, Norm MacDonald, Bill Hicks, David Tell, Louis C.K. Those are my top four favorite comics of all time. So that wraps it up for this podcast, this free podcast that's going out everywhere, and it's going to be on Patreon. On If you're listening, it's on Tuesday, and if you're listening for free, it's on Wednesday. Thursday on the podcast, I'm going to do my honorable mentions of comics, of people who I really enjoyed back at one time. You know, but they just did, they didn't make the cut, but they're honorable mentions. But I will actually mention the honorable mentions right now. Instead of saying, hey, everybody, who... Hey, everybody, you have to go and uh, ch check it out. I'll give it away right now, but then I'm going to play clips and break it down a little more. But some of my honorable mentions that I just wasn't able to get to on here, of course, the late Gilbert Gottfried I was a big fan of, Jackie Martling. Why was I a big Jackie Martling guy? Because not just from doing stand-up, because I've never seen him, but I've interviewed him, and I heard him on Howard Stern for a long time. And just those jokes, yes, they're corny. Some people think it's hack, but I, I love jokes. I love joke telling i love hearing jokes and i love cracking them at parties it's a real crowd pleaser i gotta tell you nick DiPaolo. most of these people i've actually met or talked to in person too uh and they've been really really cool uh nick DiPaolo, of course uh rich voss actually rich voss i wanted to i noticed when i started doing like writing comedy material when i was 18 19 they were very rich voss like jokes and i i had to look at like i think that's too close to a voss joke and i had to tear it up uh, little Jimmy Norton, Patrice O'Neill, the late Patrice, of course, Doug Stanhope, uh, a couple of people who I've gotten to know over the years, too, Dave Landau, Aaron Berg, Jim Florentine, Dom Herrera. Uh, those are some of my honorable mentions. So on Thursday's Patreon and on Locals, so it's behind a paywall, but I will uh, play some of these and kind of go over how I've gotten a chance to meet them and how I've been inspired by some of these comics that uh, have... Actually, I'm trying... I'm looking here. I have met every single one of these comics that I've mentioned in my honorable thing. Mention it. The only person I haven't met in person was Jackie. But everybody else that I mentioned uh, in those honorable mentions, I've gotten a chance to see live and get a chance to meet and probably got a picture with them on social media. So 
But that's my comedy Mount Rushmore. I appreciate you folks for listening to this podcast. And please, if you get a chance, and I know I kind of shared my thoughts on stand-up comedy at the beginning, but if you get a chance, please go see a comedy show. And support local comedy, support national comedy, support comedy in general. Because it's an art form, like I said, that is, I guess, archaic by today's standards and has changed rapidly. So if you get an opportunity to go to a comedy club, whether it's two drink minimum or whatever, you know, is going on, go, go see them. These are people who are working hard and, you know, that's why they have to start podcasts like this one and others because we can't rely on our comedy careers for <laughs> paying the bills anymore. So please, uh, please go, go support your local comedians and whatever you can do or subscribe to their podcasts like this too. So that kind of helps us get to that next level of what whatever it is that we want to do. So thanks everybody for listening to today's Check Your Brain podcast. We'll be back with you for the free ones coming up next Wednesday. If you're on Patreon, hey, stay tuned. I got more stuff, three to four podcasts per week and uh, our swap casts and our football podcast with Ken Mosca and Chad Zumach. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>